Funeral director walks into a bar. Bartender asks, can I get you a beer? Nothing, nothing. Beer, B-I-E-R. Oh, okay, yes, yes. So another name for, for a cop and the beer. Uh, so can I get you a, a beer? Right. Um, my, <laughs> my most interesting uh, time at a bar, uh, I, this is a weird way to start, but my most interesting time at a bar was uh, when I met a, 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 I was a vicar in Iowa and uh, going to uh, uh, meet a, a member and was waiting for him. I sat at the bar and there was a, a, a guy next to me in his 20s uh, and uh, talking to him, finally find out that he was a funeral director. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, you're, you're young. Uh, what are you doing being a funeral director? Um, and I don't remember anything about the conversation other than that, was, that it was interesting. He was a Christian. Uh, it was a family business. Uh, and, and he just loved helping people. Um, but it, it's just the general idea of, oh, you're so young. Because what do we associate death with? Old. With old, right? Uh, with old. Uh, with being old. Um, and so you might be thinking, well, what, what place do I <laughs> have to talk about death? Um, I'm, I'm older than I was then, but still not you know, that old, relatively speaking. Um, and I've experienced some death, um, a few per year. The most when I was, when I was a vicar that year, I uh, did a few, four funerals that first year uh, as, as a vicar. Um, and, but scripturally, if we want to know something, uh, if we want to know what something really is, uh, does God ask us to rely and trust on our experiences of that thing or what his word says? Right? What his word says. Um, and in this way, postmodernism uh, may actually be a, a good thing because your experience may be something different than my experience. Um, and so who is right? right? That, that's kind of what postmodernism asks. So who is right? If, if truth, is, truth is just you know, based on, the, based on the person. Well, we realize there's an end to that, uh, and, and not everything can be true, um, but uh, God's word is, right? So all of our experiences of death, um, they might have some, some facts and truth to them, but God's word is, is fully true. So we're going to rely on what God's word says about death. Uh, think of the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15, and you've got uh, that printed on your, on your sheet. Um, a woman comes to Jesus and her daughter is severely demon-possessed. And she cries out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. Right? Kyrie eleison, what we say in our liturgy. Uh, and what does Jesus do? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't answer her. So he doesn't seem to answer her prayer. And then the disciples say, Lord, send her away. She's, she's calling out after us. Uh, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Um, and then uh, she comes to him again, Lord, help me. But he answered her, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she says, yes, Lord, yet the little dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And what did Jesus say? Woman, great is your faith. Right? If the woman had believed the experiences of her life, like her daughter is demon-possessed, she's probably got many other troubles going on too. Right? She's at the end of her rope. She doesn't know who to turn to, what to do. All she can muster is, Lord, help me. Uh, and then when she comes to Jesus, it seems like he doesn't answer. He doesn't answer her prayer. He's not listening. He's, he's ignoring her. And then he calls her a dog. 
So if she would have trusted the experiences, her experiences, she would have concluded that God didn't care. Right? And when we're talking about death, that's, that's a very real temptation to believe that God doesn't care. Right? If God loved the world, why would he let people die? Why would he let me die? Why, why would God allow me to die? And so that's a very real, very real concern and temptation. But the woman didn't rely on her experience. She relied on what God's word said, right? What did Jesus say? Uh, he, didn't, he never said he, was, he wasn't going to help her. He said he was going to help the children of Israel first. She recognized that she was content to just get the scraps that fell from Jesus' table, rather than fighting for the scraps of the world. And this is what a good uh, worldview of death does. It allows you to, to stop fighting for the scraps of the world and be content with what Jesus gives to you. Because you're not, you're not, you're not living to just live and to have the best life you can now. You're living because Je Jesus has, has given you everything you need. Um, so when it comes to death, uh, we do well to pay attention to what God's word says because not one of us has experienced it, at least I think. <laughs> None of us have experienced death. And so does it make sense to talk about our experiences of it? Well, no, not really. We can't see what death really is. Only God's word can tell us what death actually is. And so similarly, when it comes to my last moments, when I'm, in, uh, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm dying, do I look back on all the experiences of my life on all the things that I did, uh, you know, I was a decent person. I prayed a lot, went to church, helped others. I was a good person. Do I rely on my experiences? Or do we expect that at funerals, that other people should uh, be telling their experiences of us, right? Eulogizing us uh, uh, and, and uh, saying, oh, Frank was, he was such, such a funny guy, right? Gonna miss his great jokes. Joe is a great dude. Grandma made the best cookies. Really going to miss those cookies, right? Do we do we expect that people do that at our funerals to remember what they experienced of us? Um, and we hope that what they experienced of us wasn't that bad. Or do we expect something better than that? Something more real, something more true, something real, even though it's unseen. So that's what I hope to convey in these presentations. And luckily, uh, we have at our disposal some men who, who, who thought a lot about death and what God's word says about it. Uh, one of them is uh, Johann Gerhard, and he wrote this, this um, next thing on your handout. He said, it is in the interest of our eternal salvation that we should take time to study something that, properly speaking, we shall make use of only once. It is appointed for all to die, but to die with piety, to die in Christ, to die happily or well, is not for everyone. So to die with piety, to die in Christ, to die happily or well, is not for everyone. But that is what we are praying for, and, and uh, that's what we hope and uh, hope to have. Now let me ask you, and uh, you can take a minute to think about it, to the world, what does a good death look like? What does it look like for the world to die well? Give me some examples. 
Okay. Big visitation at the funeral home. Lots of people, right? Uh, because they were such a well-loved, well-known well person. A lot of people there visiting. What else? Quick and painless, a pain-free death. Yeah, that's a big one. Peaceful. So, what does that mean? Dying with a smile on your face. Okay. So somebody tells a joke and you fall over laughing, right? Um, Sure, and, and in, in your vocation, you, I'm sure you see that a lot, right? And you talk about that a lot. To die with no regrets. To, to die with no regrets? Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and so, and certainly there is something about it. We're going to talk about that uh, um, maybe a little bit later, uh, and for sure uh, down the road. Um, but, and that's, def that's definitely part of it. Um, no regrets. Um, what do you mean by no regrets? Did it my way. Yeah. Everything as far as I can serve, I like my kids. I do everything I needed to do. Yeah. I don't, there's nothing I need to be sorry for. Mm -hmm. um, I think that never happens. I mean, it wasn't easy. Yeah. yeah. How much of a well, why did I do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of things that don't Sure. So you did everything you wanted to do. Yeah, I, you know, and to, you know, that's a big one that, and, uh, you know, because now people don't realize, don't even think that there's anything after death, right? Like, there's no heaven, no hell, so what does it matter? Because all that matters is me living my best life, uh, and if I can do all the stuff that I want to do, um, and they're concerned about leaving a legacy and how people remember them. Um, and, uh, and maybe they maybe they do think there may be something after death, uh, but to but to look on on your life and say, well, I did all the things I want to do. I have no regrets. Who are you focused on? Me, right? Yeah. And and that attitude, especially like to to, to justify yourself. Well, I wouldn't change a thing. Why? Because well, I was good enough, right? That's uh, that's that's that base attitude that I am. I was good enough. I don't need to change a thing. Um, God's going to accept me as I am. Right. Let's look at a few different passages, and we'll, we'll look at what a good death from Scripture looks like. Uh, the first is um, David's seven-day-old son in 2 Samuel 12. Um, so one of the assumptions that we have is to die well means to, to die old. Uh, the biggest news in Oregon this past week, if you've been, if you've been looking at... Uh, well, Channel 3000 or, uh, or the Oregon Observer, uh, a, uh, an 11-year-old girl, six, um, a sixth grader, died uh, in the public school system uh, because she was shot by her brother. Um, it was an accident, um, but uh, 
you know, why is that so shocking? She's so young, right? Um, and, uh, and so let me read you this from, from 2 Samuel 12. On the seventh day, the child died. Again, this is the child that David had with Beersheba. Bathsheba, sorry, not Beersheba, Bathsheba. Um, on the seventh day, the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him the child was dead because they said, look, when the child was living, we spoke to David, but he did not listen to what we said. How will he, uh, we speak to him now when the child is dead? He might do something harmful. When David saw that his servants were whispering together, he understood that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, yes, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. He went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went back to his house and asked for food. So they prepared a meal for him, and he ate. His servants said to him, what are you doing? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you got up and ate food. He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, because I said, who knows? Will the Lord be gracious to me and let the child live? Maybe. Now when he has died, why should I fast? Am I able to return, to, to, to return him to life again? No, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Beautiful confession, right? This wasn't the way it was supposed to happen, uh, I suppose. Uh, and, you know, we can say things like that because death was not the intention. Uh, God wanted us to live, but death does happen to everybody. And so even, uh, even, even to the young, even to a seven-day-old child, but what does David confess? He says, I can't bring it back, but I will go to him. Right? I will go to him. So to die well can be to die young. Uh, another one we, we talked about is to, to die with a lot of people, right? To die surrounded by family and friends. Uh, if not the visitation, certainly at the, at, uh, you know, on your deathbed, you want to be surrounded by your family and friends, right? That you want them to be there with you. Um, um, let me read you the rich man and poor Lazarus, Luke 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, living in luxury every day. A beggar named Lazarus had been laid at his gate, Lazarus was covered with sores and longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Besides this, dogs also came and licked his sores. In other words, this is the lowest guy of society. Nobody cares for him. Nobody's looking out for him. Nobody even probably knows he exists. The dogs do, and they're coming to lick his sores. But eventually the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his side. He called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in misery in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in misery. Um, notice the rich man you know, he didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't a bad guy. And he didn't, he didn't go to hell because he was rich. Sometimes that's the conclusion we jump to in this lesson. Oh, he's rich. Rich people go to hell. Poor people go to heaven. So let's all be poor. Um, right? That, that's not the point. Um, but he's your average Joe, right? Probably. Maybe, maybe more so. Uh, he's, he's a guy that has a lot of fame and fortune because 
a lot of people liked it, right? Um, this is a guy that you would want to be a friend with. But where does he go? He goes to hell because he didn't have faith in Jesus. Um, and so all the stuff that he gained in his life didn't mean a thing. Um, but Lazarus, who had nothing in this life, who, 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 because he had nothing, trusted solely in Jesus and God's word, gained heaven and was brought by the angels to Abraham's side. Uh, that's the, uh, the hymn that we sang today after the sermon. Uh, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. We sang the last verse last week. Lord, let at last thine angels come to, a to Abram's side, uh, bear us home. Um, and this is something that's really important. Uh, and um, uh, maybe you see it a lot today, the cult of COVID. Uh, right, a person who dies alone with COVID, right, that's the, the worst thing imaginable right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people think like, oh, I don't want to die in the hospital alone. Well, that's, I mean, that's a terrible thing, but there is something worse than that. Um, uh, I was talking with another pastor earlier this week, and uh, he actually got to make a visit to somebody with COVID, and he was dying in the hospital. Um, and he wasn't a member, but he was referred to him by one of the church members. Um, and uh, he was a standard, uh, maybe bland, uh, non-denominational, evangelical uh, Christian uh, but this church um, didn't really talk much about Jesus. Uh, but the Lutheran pastor um, just, he, go, he went to the hospital. He had to dress up in the, the whole, the whole get-up, right? Yep. Had to dress up in the, the hazard suit. And, but he got to proclaim Jesus to this man uh, who rarely ever heard it in his own church. Uh, and he gave, he did what I did today. He forgave the man's sins in private, right? Private confession, absolution, on his deathbed. Um, and uh, the man says to his friends after the pastor left, he said, I think I'm a Lutheran. Uh, I think I'm a Lutheran. After just that half-hour visit from, from the pastor proclaiming Jesus, and uh, his funeral was yesterday in a Lutheran church. Um, look at the uh, wealthy man and the Canaanite woman uh, eating the little dog eating crumbs. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and finally, we, we think um, you know, to die without pain. He mentioned pain. Somebody mentioned pain. Um, and, and as if the worst thing that could happen to us is, is you know, getting hurt, uh, is that our bodies get hurt or, or die, right? That's what COVID's all about, um, or at least the cult of COVID. Um, and you know, there are worse things than dying. There are, there are greater things than living a good life or having no pain. Um, Again, we tend to trust our experiences and what we feel, just like the Canaanite woman. Uh, and like you said, whether you get a, a few crumbs or a whole bread of, of loaf. And so we, we'd rather fix our bodily issues and, and ailments rather than fix our hearts because we want to believe that our hearts are good enough um, because we can't see them. We want to fix what, what we can see. Um, and we don't, we don't want to even admit that we're sinners. You know, we say things like, oh, I'm not perfect, but... Right. Uh, or, you know, I have issues and I have problems... But, and we always add the but, but how often do we just say, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and I need God's help. So God's word needs to be preached to us to show us our sin, just like we do here, uh, and to relieve us of it, law and gospel, and then we can die in peace. So to see what a good death looks like, I'll show you one more lesson here. 
from John chapter 20, from the resurrected Jesus. I mentioned this in the sermon. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together behind locked doors because of their fear of the Jews. Why are they afraid? The Jews killed Jesus. They're going to come and do the same thing to us. They don't want to get hurt, right? They don't want to die. Jesus came, stood among them. He stood among them, right? He, he passed through the door, through the wall. He just was there in his body and said to them, peace be with you. It's the same thing that I say uh, today when I, when I held up the Lord's body and blood, the, 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 the chalice and the host, and I say, peace be with you always. Because this, this is it. The Lord's body and blood, he held up his hands and feet and showed them. I do the same thing. I show you Christ's body and blood, and I say, peace be with you. It's the same peace. Um, and after this, he showed him his hands outside, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And this, right after this, he, ble- he breathes on them, and he says, uh, go forgive people's sins. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven them. Right? Uh, so he connects the forgiveness of sins with the resurrection. But notice, uh, he still had the scars. Right? He still had the scars. He wasn't completely healed, uh, even in heaven. Right? Sometimes we, we, we have pictures, and maybe they're right, maybe they're not, you know, of, of people um, who maybe were in a wheelchair, uh, and then in heaven, and now they're walking and running and things. Um, or, you know, people who are blind or deaf, and, and uh, you know, we think, like, oh, in heaven, you're going to be not blind or deaf. Um, and, you know, that seems to be true because of the Old Testament and, and the way that Jesus will heal the, the eyes of the, of the blind and, and uh, the, the ears of the deaf and, and make those who can't walk to walk, just like the paralyzed man today. Um, but we mistake, we are mistaken if we think that's, if that's the main thing about heaven. Right? The main thing about heaven is not to be free from you know, physical problems. Heaven is to be free from sin. That's what heaven is. Heaven is to be free from sin. And if that means that we're free from physical problems, great. But the main thing is to be free from forgiveness, free from sin. Um, and as we saw today with the paralytic, uh, paralyzed man, when Jesus removes sin, what else happens? The man's body is recreated. So uh, the Bible talks about, the, about heaven being um, the new heaven and the new earth, a, a recreation. Right, so that's, that's what it is. And then finally, we have the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer, which you all memorized when you were confirmed in the Lutheran faith. And we say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. But deliver us from evil. And what does this mean? We pray in this petition, Luther says, as the sum of all, that our Father in heaven would deliver us from every evil of body and soul, property and honor. And at last, when the hour of death shall come, Grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. Did you know every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, which Luther recommended doing it every day, not just in church, but every day, say it every day with your family, uh, twice a day even, Luther said, at the, at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, every time you say that, you end with uh, deliver us from evil. And what you're saying is, Lord, let me die. Lord, let me die. Give me a blessed death. You're praying for that, right? Any questions before I move on to the history of, of, of this Ars Moriendi literature? Any comments, questions?
I know there's some people watching online, and uh, so if you have any comments and questions, um, comment on online, and uh, I should see them later, and uh, I can try to respond to you on there. Uh, history of Ars Moriendi. Uh, 14th century, uh, so the 300s. Uh, this is when the Black uh, Plague hit, uh, the, bubonic, the, the bubonic plague. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but before COVID, I never really thought much about the bubonic plague or the Black Death. I, you know, I'd heard about it. You know, we'd study it in history books and, and whatever in uh, the seventh grade history or no, 11th grade history class in high school. Um, but I never realized that it, it lasted like hundreds of years. Like it wasn't a, a two year long thing. Um, now, well, I, let, me, let me back up. Um, the pandemic, uh, the first wave of the, of the pandemic hit Europe from 1348 to 1352. So four years, so it lasted four years, right, the pandemic. Uh, and it killed, look at this, up to half the population of Eurasia. So Europe and Asia and, and the area in between, it killed up to half the population, right? That should really put us, you know, the, the one we're going through today in, in, in its place. Uh, it is, you know, it's, it is deadly, um, but it's not like this. And of course, we have a lot better medicine today and, and whatnot, but um, uh, after that, it became endemic. So we, we talk about an epidemic versus pandemic. So it became endemic after that. And so it became this reoccurring thing, uh, much like their, Norway, uh, Norway has removed COVID from being a pandemic and now it's just endemic for them because they say this thing is gonna last around. Um, and it's gonna, so we're gonna get back to life because it's going to be here every year and continuing. So that's, that's Norway's response right now. Um, and uh, so the Black Death uh, reoccurred regularly. And this is the, the era of the Reformation now, right? So the, the 15th century, uh, the, sorry, yeah, the 15th century and 16th century, or sorry, 15th century. I'm not to Lutheran Reformation yet. Uh, the second wave hit in the late 17th century, and there's a third wave too that I didn't know about that hit in the 1800s, uh, and even, I think even early 1900s. I had no idea, but it was a small thing that happened in, uh, in Asia. Uh, it's mostly gone now, but it still might be around. I think it's still around. It's still endemic. Um, but in the 15th century, so as a result of all this, uh, you have this literature being developed and written because the general mood uh, was a live for the moment. Uh, and you see that in uh, popular works such as uh, Giovanni uh, uh, Chini. I'm not going to butcher that name, uh, Baccio-Chios, uh, the Decameron, the, the Decameron, the, de, de, the, the Decameron, the Decameron. So the, the 10 days of humor or, or entertainment. So we're all gonna die. And so it's a story about these people that are quarantined uh, for 10 days together and you know, we're gonna die. So let's live, let's enjoy life now, right? Do what we can now so we have no regrets. And so on the other hand, the Roman Catholic Church, which was you know, the church, um, tried to correct this by producing Ars Moriendi, the art of dying literature uh, following on the heels of the great mortality, uh, the bubonic plague. And most of this centered on one's ability to atone for past sins and make themselves right with God before they died. Right? So, preached, you're, you know, rightly so, you're, you're a sinner, you're a terrible person, repent, and uh, make yourself right before 
uh, before you die. And so it advised the dying not to think about earthly matters at all, and it disparaged even those who would make arrangements in the last will and testament. So it would disparage your vocation, uh, you know, if, if, if the, um, the authorities uh, at B in the 15th century still their way, there would be no planners like you to help people worry about this. Um, and uh, because they said, well, you shouldn't be concerned about that at all. Just be concerned about your spiritual life. And, and in this way, a sort of neo-Gnosticism crept in. Um, it was a divide between the physical and the spiritual. Uh, it, it was a belief that a truly pious life could be lived apart from the body. Uh, you know, much like we see today when somebody says, well, church can be done online. Uh, or, or when we're, you know, when we are advised to stay away from your neighbor. Why? Because, well, that's going to help your neighbor. Right? We, 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 we separate the body from, from being good and doing good. Uh, and so we think the spiritual life can be lived entirely in my mind. Uh, and, and it's something felt. That's Gnosticism. That's not Christianity. Uh, Christianity... Uh, teaches that you do have real bodies. Jesus had a real body. He actually came to his disciples, uh, showed them his hands and feet, came to you, comes to you, uh, and you have a body to go serve other people. Uh, and so you have a responsibility to other people, too. Um, and uh, and uh, so Lutherans say, well, take care of arrangements. Make final arrangements. Uh, worry about your, your future and, and the, the people that are going to come after you. Make those arrangements before you die. Uh, because that's in service to your neighbor. You can't live a truly pious life apart from your body. Your body has to be involved. Um, now, other innovations around this time, such as the rosary, uh, which is uh, late 1200s, uh, directed people to their own piety or to the piety of the saints. So you're not good enough, but the saints were. Look to them uh, and uh, borrow some of their some of their um, some of their good works, and then and then that'll make you rise a dot. What's missing in all of this? What's missing in all of that? Election. Election. Or Jesus. Right? <laughs> What's that? You are a direct connection to Jesus. You're, you're looking for somebody else to intercede all the time. Yeah, so with the saints, certainly. Yep. Um, certainly. Uh, but they did uh, encourage people to, uh, you know, to... Um, uh, to, you know, atone for their sins before they died. And, you know, in that way, you know, go directly to God. You know, make yourself right with God by what you do. So, so maybe, we're, maybe through the saints, but also through you. And so, still, you're not looking to Jesus. You are looking to yourself or other people to make you right with God. You're not looking to Jesus, who has made you right with God. You're looking to yourself to actually do that. And so, um, so, yes, we do the same thing, though. Uh, and, so, and people will you know, criticize the Lutheran Church, like, oh, you, gotta, you, you just have the liturgy and you do the same thing. You say the same words every, every week. Like, uh, you're, not really, you're not really into it. You're just saying the words. Uh, we get criticized of that. And that's not always a bad thing.
Yeah. Those types of things, and I don't think that necessarily revolves around prayers that we say here in service. Sometimes people do. We need to go beyond that, I think. Sure. Um, this all helps us. Yeah, because what, what we're doing here. Points us in the right direction. Right, because this is training, right? It's, it's training. Um, you know, we're training you how to die here. Uh, even in our prayers, you know, what, what are we praying for? We're praying for things here that you would never pray on, probably, on your own. I would, I would not think to pray to, of these things on, on my own. Um, and what do they do? They follow the outline of the Lord's Prayer, as we did today. Uh, and so Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And, and by learning how to pray, we're learning, you know, what, it, what, what those things are that truly matter. Um, because sometimes we think that something matters and we can go off on a tangent, we can really pray for that thing, when, when really Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is the more important thing over here. Um, and so our liturgy, uh, this repetition, actually teaches us to, to, to rely not on our own thoughts in our last moments, but on Jesus, right? And that's, that's the beauty of repetition. You know, even for my, my kids, uh, they know the liturgy because they hear it every week. Um, and uh, so maybe they can't formulate their own words, um, but if I say to them, what is Jesus on? Jesus is the Lamb of God. They'll say, he takes away the sin of the world. Right? They know that. Um, and so this is why, why we use it, so that you know that you remember it when you're on your deathbed too, and you've got all these other thoughts. Now you don't have to think that hard, right? Um, because you've got it right there. So in the 16th century, the Lutheran Reformation came around, and uh, this was a big part of the Lutheran, Lutheran Reformation. Uh, Ars, uh, Lutheran, Ars Moriendi, Lutheran Ars Moriendi directed the dying not to inner reflection or piety, but to the sure promises of the gospel. So Lutheran authors urged the dying to meditate on Christ's death and resurrection for the sake of their conscience. So don't look to your own piety. Don't look at your experience, your life, the good things you did, uh, if you have no regrets, don't look to that. But look to Jesus' death and resurrection for your conscience. And then, at the same time, to make earthly arrangements for the sake of your neighbor. Right? So the 15th century uh, church had reversed those two things. You do good works to help you get right with God, uh, not to help your neighbor. Um, Lutherans say... You do good works to help your neighbor, not to make you right with God. Look to Jesus. He has made you right with God. Um, and uh, so Luther especially advises ministers and those with the vocation to care for the body, doctors um, and uh, authorities, governors, and so on, not to abandon those dying with the plague in his day, but to suffer death if God calls them to it. Um, and again, the Black Plague, the, the, the bubonic plague, was endemic during Luther's time, so it kept coming around, uh, although not, not in full force like it had before. To Rick's credit, he helps people financially prepare for their neighbors and their families yeah. before you get to the point where you're facing death, in which case you remove that worry from the table and you can focus on your neighbor. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so, so he's, he's doing a good thing, right? That, that is a good thing. And, uh, you know, Lutherans, uh, thrivent, uh, started as a Lutheran company, right? Um, there's a reason for that. Um, and uh, um, 
uh, uh, at, so at the same time, so that, that's one half of it. We do want to do that for the sake of our neighbors, but we also need to uh, have our consciences in the right place and look to Jesus. And, and that happens here through continual training, right? Uh, and uh, so uh, I'm not going to get to the faces of death. I, I wasn't sure if I would get to them this time or next time. I, I think now's a good time to, to break, maybe answer some questions, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the faces of death, uh, a few of these authors next time. But, but before I do, let me just show you a couple of books here um, that we're going to be looking at. Uh, this is where the majority of this is coming from. So first of all is uh, the Handbook of Consolations. This is by Johann Gerhard. Um, and if you want to get a preview, you can read about him on, on your handout. Um, but it's just a, a simple little booklet uh, with 40 different consolations, uh, different things to, to think about uh, when you're dying. And uh, so ideally, you would do this before you die because when, when you're dead, it's too late to, to think about these things, right? Uh, just, just like the financial stuff. You've you got you to do this before. And so he wrote this, this booklet, and it's not that long, and it's just beautiful. There's 40 little um, things in here. And uh, they're told from the perspective of someone who's tempted with a variety of sins or, or temptations uh, or guilt or doubts um, and uh, then a response from the consoler uh, who Gerhard uses his vast knowledge of scripture and, and church fathers too. Um, because we are, when, you know, when, we're, when we die, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, we're not the first to do this. Right? There are many others who have gone before us. Uh, and we should learn from their example. Uh, not, not to rely on the saints for some more good work to help us get into heaven, but to look <coughs> to their example because you know, maybe they have something to teach us about, about living and dying. The second is the Booklet of Comfort for the Sick and on the Christian Night by Johann Spagenberg. Uh, Spagenberg wrote this for school children. Uh, a little booklet for school children. He was a, a he was called to be a pastor of a uh, of a uh, where was it um, of uh, Nordhausen. The school system collapsed in Nordhausen, uh, you know, as a result of plague and uh, political turmoil. And uh, gosh, like it just sounds like today, right? Yeah. It's a like the school system is sh is in shambles, like the. Like, they're not being taught what they should be. They're being taught all this other stuff. So, so the, he comes in, and he reorganizes. He dismantles the school system, reorganizes it. In the meantime, he takes all the kids into his own home, teaches them in his own home uh, until he can reorganize the school system. And, uh, and so he, he spent his life working with kids. Uh, I would love if we could do the same thing here, right? Uh, organize a little school uh, and, uh, and uh, teach, teach what should be taught. And anyway, he, so he wrote this for children. So it's a book for children because, you know, death doesn't discriminate. Um, and so they wanted, he wanted them to know what death was all about, too. Uh, and finally, uh, Martin Luther, and I'll talk more about him next time. Um, but uh, those are the two main sources that I'm pulling from, as well as uh, Luther. I don't have a physical copy of, of all of his stuff. Uh, most of his stuff you can find online for free. Uh, and then there's a number of hymns, too, which we will be looking at uh, down the road. Uh, there are so many good hymns about dying. This is one of the greatest resources um, to have on your deathbed. You don't need a book like this if you have your Bible, your catechism, and your hymnal. 
So these are the three main books that you need to have uh, as you are dying. And there's so many great hymns to actually uh, comfort you in your last moment and set your mind uh, where it should be um, in here. So we'll look at a few of those uh, as we go, too. So any comments, questions, or concerns? As a pastor, I get the privilege of, you know, going to a number of deathbeds, and, uh, you know, there are some people that, that aren't, aren't really that conscious, conscious. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, you, you start the Lord's Prayer, and they join in, join in with you. Or you start singing Him, Abide With Me, or something like that, and they're right there with you. Music is one of the great things uh, that allows us to, you know, it helps us remember, um, and especially on our deathbed. Um, music brings things to mind. You know, that's why I love singing the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, it, it, if you can't say the Lord's Prayer, then you can sing it. Um, and uh, it's, it's just another tool of remembrance uh, that we've got. So, um, well, let me close with Psalm 90, verse 12. Uh, the last thing on your, on your handout, uh, Moses uh, writes, you know, and mo by the way, Moses is a guy who, uh, another guy we should learn, learn from for, for dying. He didn't get what he wanted, right? God asked him to lead his people out of, the, out of Egypt to the promised land. What did he do? He sinned. He, he disobeyed God. He doubted God. And God said, well, you're not going to get into the promised land. And so Moses didn't you know, talk about some guy that, that had regrets in his life. Um, but he still got heaven, and, and that was far better than getting into the promised land. Uh, take the world, but give me Jesus, as the hymn says. Uh, he says in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 